Hello and welcome to Is This Really For Kids? The show where I, your host, Thea Touchin, a fellow traumatized child, also analyzing a lot of traumatized children in this season again, but yeah, I analyze children's media and I decide, is it really for kids? And we're going to continue a very depressing story, but one that I really love. Continuing with the series of unfortunate events, season two. They were founded by accident by Mr. Poe, who is promoted to orphan affairs, but has no time to be with orphans. And he's like, no one's willing to take in because they kind of think that they maybe murdered the optometrist, even though Count of Loaf did. I forgot to talk about, too, the ending musical number of the first one. Sorry, I did not space out my notes because I just, like, binged this. It's super sad. It's just, like, not how the story goes. And it's rough. You can't take them in. So he decides to make them go to school which is probably good why weren't they in school anyway i mean i know they're geniuses but probably should be in school as their children but then you know as it goes with public school they get bullied and are called kate sniffers by carlita honestly she's the perfect casting she's too adorable she's got tap shoes she's i love it i didn't ever think i would be this much of a fan of carmelita spats so the school's motto is memento mori remember you will die and the school is just all run down they just like are focused on beating the other team they don't really have a reason why they just want to beat people it's got a lot of negative energy in school just how i remember it but the library lady is cool she has like the dad's quote of the world is quiet here and the principal gets really mad honestly he's exactly what i pictured when i thought of this principal and he does a great job but he is so upset because they're interrupting his violin and he only cares about playing his violin being a violinist it is like the artist that was stuck teaching to make ends meet but doesn't care about the kids or the system or anything and they're like don't worry about you know count all up we've got a computer that'll scream him and they're like we don't have any dorms for you to live in but we have a, a shack it's like basically an upgraded broom closet and he doesn't want to change the rules that don't work at the school because the principal doesn't want to and because they don't teach sunny's grade the baby gets to be an administrative assistant this literal baby um which is gonna have an impeccable job resume by the end of this but this is so illegal the library is open for only 10 minutes because government money you know can't spend anything but we can pay for politicians mercedes the shack that the orphans live in literally drips fungus and the principal has a restraining order from juilliard so that's going really well the clown waiter larry is now a lunch lady very consistent in his roles as a server honestly my boyfriend would have been a really good larry as well but this guy does a great job the principal tells the Baudelaire's if you're late to class you have to have your hands tied behind your back totally ethical and legal absolutely carmelita gets the whole lunch room to just basically make fun of the Baudelaire's. you know typical school things that happen and nobody really does anything about them anymore but the quagmires stick up for the Baudelaire's. And we learned that Isadora writes couplets and is a poet, which I loved. I found a lot of inspiration in Isadora to become a poet. So they lost their parents and brother in a fire and they warned them about the crabs in the shack and that you have to basically like make this rattly thing to scare them away. Like, I can't believe that they are living in these conditions, but this is their world. Both have the spyglass decoders, which honestly, which is very funny, it's that's not in the book. There are no spyglass decoders. That is just something the movie did and Netflix was like, oh, we like that, we'll take it too. We'll nod to the movie. I didn't know that, but great facts. Anyway, the principal will like trim his toenails in the library, which is gross. And if you are late or miss his violin recital, you make him buy a bag of candy that he eats. Just insane literal insanity but the Baudelaire's at least feel happy because the quagmires are making them feel at home even though like everything is terrible there's a spice girl reference i hate it because it takes me out of the world but you know to eat your own if you like spice girls there's something in there for you olaf is happy now because now he can have twice the fortune because he can get the quagmires and the Baudelaire's fortune carmelita then first teams out with count olaf and they go to a mandatory prep rally remember those it's so crazy that they forced us to be petful in school life is insane anyway i love that they have a dead horse as their mascot for school because you can't beat a dead horse that is great that should be more schools mascots it's amazing so cuddle up is something that i think is so utterly offensive but it's so good at the same time so he's basically a coach with a turban but a texas accent so the two worlds that never would collide collide the bible belt is strong and buckled ladies and gents so the Baudelaire's are like this is an imposter and count off is like you mean improviser or one of his troops say that which is really funny and they're like are you count off 
like the one who's done fraud, arson, child abuse, murder. And he's like, nope, and I can't take off my turban to show you my eyebrow because religious reasons. So he got him there. And he's not going to take his shoes off for his ankles because shoes uh, and socks off is gross. And the computer didn't identify him, obviously, because he's in disguise. Here, too, I think is when my boyfriend was asking questions about this author. And we realized that, I guess, was racist, unfortunately, because he joked about an award-winning black author being allergic to watermelon, did something fucking dumb. Also said something problematic about, like, oh, children book events turn into orgies and very strange dude. I mean you have to be semi strange to write stuff like this right like this is a there's a lot going on here and so basically the Baudelaire's get into this thing where they have to run in the middle of the night with Count Olaf so that they're super tired all the day it's like it's so messed up it makes me so mad and it honestly just it is everything that is wrong with school and just life but they make the bowlers run all night so that they're tired and since they're running all night they're gonna miss the principal's recital so they have to do candy and basically Olaf taunts them as if things weren't bad enough running in the middle of the night just terrible and he's like your parents taught you nothing and I was like well you know what they say those who can't do cheat which is like funny because Kanaloff is the coach right now um, but I honestly have high respect for people who are actually actually dedicated to teaching. The Baudelaire's are just kind of like, you know what, our parents taught us to survive, so take that. And honestly, this was a very good episode. Like, I really liked it. Larry gets locked in the freezer and it's really scary. And then Captain Hanner, Nathan, as I know him, the, the evil priest from Buffy, is Jack Snicket. And he teams up with the librarian because he's in a taxi. And I guess part of the VFD thing is that they would like sometimes, if they're going to show their baby pictures to you, that's how they would also induct you in besides dragging you by your ankles in the middle of the night. Because if your parents said that there was nothing outside, they were lying. Yeah, good times, good times. Yeah. Going back to school already with having so much time off is just traumatic for everybody. But on top of it, the Baudelaire's have their literal abuser, who is a dangerous man that keeps them from sleeping and keeps them physically exhausted to just do laps all night. I will say though, in Carmelita's defense, the Baudelaire's go and they're like mad at Carmelita writing a song because their song doesn't rhyme. But I took a musical theater class and I'll tell you something, songs actually don't have to lie. No one thinks, I mean, it's kind of hard because the casting is good and Carmelita is actually talented, the actress who plays her. And I think they could have made her sound worse because she actually is like pretty good. I'd be like, you, it kind of seems dumb because you're like, what? She's like decent, you guys. Come on, be nice. We also find out that Carmelita is a legit cake sniffer. She just goes around and sniffs cake, which is very weird. I would not want to get my boogers on cake, so I don't think that I could do that. But I understand, baked goods have a really good smell. The quag pretend to be the Baudelaire's so that they can get some sleep and pass school because they're like flunking out obviously and it's sad because they like never see the quagmires after this you also might be wondering wait there's only two quagmires who's gonna be Sunny and Sunny is a flower robot I mean I think it's only fair for that ridiculousness because Sunny is literally a baby in the administration office removing staples just like this is so dangerous and Olaf is like talking about how he was like insecure at school and kind of repeats himself in this one the first episode of this is good the second one I don't love poor hook man can't even give two thumbs up because he's got hooks and it's awkward and sad the quagmires end up finding the book about VFG where they're learning everything and Poe automatically believes that Count Olaf is the coach because why would he be wearing athletic shoes as an adult but like damn adults exercise too Poe lives in a different universe man but he's over there because he's bringing bags of candy because the Baudelaire's weren't giving the principal bags of candy. I don't even know where they could get candy. It didn't seem like there was a candy shop on campus, so they've not been able to like pay up to the principal. And they totally believe that he's not Count Olaf because they're like, what sane man would disguise himself? And it's just insane. It's just like so hypocritical and crazy making. And at this point, you know, we've been through this like five times where no one believes. And it's just like, you get like mad, honestly. Like you should start to be like, this is ridiculous. This is like such a series of stories that like, why does anyone believe them? They should believe them. But you end up just like being pissed at the adults and being like, why are you an idiot? And you totally believe that these adults wouldn't believe it because they are just like so far removed. Basically, they just think children are saying anything for an excuse. But Poe does say, she's like, um, Sonny should be in preschool, not in the office. But the principal is like, you know what? Well, if they flunk their exams, they're going to be expelled. Yet this principal has never graduated middle school. And Carmelita says that they're not adorable enough to pass. And also to make stakes even worse, they say that Jim is worth 51% of your grade. Which honestly, given how real life is, I will say that I should have done gym more than I did. I should have went harder in gym. But 
It sucks, because everybody was judging you. Because people are mean. So, but mad regrets that I didn't take. I didn't take physical ability seriously, and I should have, because it's so helpful in life. I don't know. I had rape trauma. I don't know what I was thinking. Anyway, they mess up and say physical princess instead of prowess, and that's really funny. And so, Count Olaf goes to, like, arm wrestle a baby, and I think Sonny ends up winning. But it doesn't matter, because, of course, he escapes, and to make it even worse, and everything more depressing... He's kidnapped Isadora and Duncan, and it sucks. But at least the principal is like, you know what? I'm never going to give up the struggle. He's like, I'm going to be a musician. And yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah, I'll say that The Mill was my least favorite book. I feel like the fifth one might not be second to last, but it was, it definitely wasn't my favorite because the principal is so irritating. But this season, what's in is being very dark and trees. And then they're going to 667. And I imagine that the author's original thing was 666 and they were like, no, nobody. And he was like, all right, fine. And he so he did 667. But they're on a very fashionable block and they will now get to live the Baudelaire's in a penthouse. Violet sees that the elevator is broken and she's like, I'm happy to fix it. And they're like, no, no, no. The elevators are out. Stairs are in. It's It looks like a hotel because it's so cool. This like apartment complex. It's so cool. All the stairs are lit by candles. The door is always unlocked, which is insane, honestly. I feel like rich people would have an even bigger security systems, but maybe security systems are out. So Jerome Squalor and Esme Squalor, she makes martini for children, even though they are children and not even close to the legal age of drinking. I think they're like 14. Maybe she's 15 at this point. And then that would make Klaus 14. But family, I think this all takes place within a year because Klaus's birthday is coming up soon. But anyway, the martinis weren't alcoholic in case you were panicking. They're aquinos, which means they're just like substituted water, which seems gross. They're doing high impact bird watching, which will come into play. They have binoculars, no spy glasses. They also insist that they were old friends with their parents and they were like, you know, we wanted to take you in, but orphans were out, which is, yeah, it seems like a really reasonable reason. People are so selfish in this universe. Esme is the stepsister in Ella Enchanted and it's just great casting. It's just amazing, great casting. So here's what's in, in case you were missing. Stairs are in, pinstripe suits are in, light is in. The Butler's are like, oh, could you adopt the Quagmires? Cause they're like super rich and have all these rooms. They have like literal zebra chairs and all this cool, amazing furniture. But then it's not looking good because their butler is, Olaf pretending to be a foreigner. Real classy. Not at all racist. Remember when he said that joke? The author said that joke about black man and the watermelon? Maybe it's starting to show a little bit. Anyway, I'm honestly really impressed by Neil Patrick Harrison's accents. He does a really good job. I've like never heard him do this many accents, even on How I Met Your Mother. Like he puts some work in and that's like the most amazing thing about NPH is like he only gets better and better as an actor. I love it. And of course he's, he calls the orphans hideous and they're just like, what a cute foreigner thing to do. And he gets to stay because foreigners are in and they're having all this build up for a big auction. And then Esme even says, she's like, poor people can't eat money. It's like, why would she give her money away? I guess, which is just like the rich, you know, the elite rich. This is real. He literally has 71 rooms. Like at one point, what do you do with all that stuff? What is having that stuff go to? Because like, I understand like building some things. Like, are we ever going to get to the point in America where people's children don't work because we just built a society where they don't have to? Or because there's going to be more and more rich people, more and more people marrying in to be rich. Is it just going to make the class an even bigger divide? Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I also just don't understand what you need with 71 rooms. It's basically just filled with random junk that they don't even go into. But anyway, bullers get into their heads that the quagmires are probably hidden in one of the rooms because Olaf is here and Olaf's plan basically what they don't know is that he's gonna marry Esme and become guardian of them which that's not good because that actually will work right that is how the system works which is so hard because it's like you know like some step parents definitely should become guardians and then some shouldn't you know and there's no way to really make that not happen another scary thing is that the cane that olaf's foreigner character is holding is also a knife and then violet is going around marking the rooms that she's checked looking for the quagmires with chalk in the book it was stickers i remember because it was like dots and she put like certain dots certain color code it was very smart i'm assuming that chalk made 
more sense and showed up easier on screen or maybe the prop guy forgot the stickers. I don't know what the situation was. Then we go back to Captain Hammer, Nathan, Jack Snicket, and the librarian. She can't afford to take a taxi because she's on an unpaid sabbatical. And she's also a little nervous about hopping in the car of total strangers, which any woman maybe should be a little bit. And Jack admits that like, hey, you know, the taxi driver is my day gig. I'm actually a secret organization volunteer. Now it's not really a secret because she knows about it. And he is super nice and cleans her glasses for her. And I honestly love the librarian. Her name is Olivia Caliban. And the actress is great in it. Very, very likable. Well, now trees are out. So they cut down all the trees. It's super depressing to me. And they go to celebrate Secretary's Day in a white limo. The rich, you know, started from the bottom and now we're here, Baudelaire's. I mean, I guess they started from the top because they were already rich children. I don't even know if they went to school previously. That's like never discussed, but it seems like they were just hanging out with their parents all day and having fun. They didn't even have any friends. They just had each other. I don't, and they don't question that this is like a little bit weird. I don't know. Things are going on. Anyway, they hear Olaf talk about the quagmire children being thrown in a bag and given a sleeping potion to drink, which is just like, sounds terrible. And Jerome Swaller doesn't like to argue with Esme, just kind of lets her do whatever she wants and is just very unhappy in this relationship. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, Esme's like beautiful and rich too. And like, you know, like he should like her, but he just like doesn't but he doesn't know how to articulate why he doesn't until she's like evil. The cafe salmonella is like nothing I pictured. Also, it took me forever to get that that was the name because I was reading it as like salmonella instead of salmonella. But anyway, really funny. Um, I pictured it so much fancier than it was like and like way more elaborate and brightly colored. Larry is like a herring as I guess it'd be like a red herring sort of thing. He's like literally in a fish costume for this. And he talks about the vehemently fishy decor, giving another VFD thing, uh, and makes this weird OK symbol over the eye, which I'm assuming is also the VFD symbol. And it ends up being like a really slow meal, which I remember that in the book. Honestly, I would say I like this one second, and then it is probably Reptile Room and Wide Window, and my first being the Musher one, because I think this one is like really fun about fashion and, and the twist of Esme, which we haven't gotten to yet, but it, what's coming is pretty good. Larry says, I like this line a lot where he was like, suspicious activity is like good jazz. You know it when you hear it. And I just thought it was a really clever line. Jerome is the sixth most powerful financial advisor, which is insane. The amount of zeros in this man's bank account, right? The salmon picture is amazing. Dinner is still going very slow. The orphans kind of escape and are climbing up the building trying to find the quagmires because those are their dear friends and they like love them. I also felt like they like change it in the thing, but at first it seemed like, oh, Klaus liked Isadora and Violet liked Duncan. And then it like doesn't go that way at all in the Netflix series. But I remember feeling that and then it like changes very, very fast. But they try to argue that the orphans are xenophobic, afraid of strangers or afraid of like foreigners or like kind of racist about Count Olaf's foreigner character. And they're trying to tell Esme about Count Olaf being there. And then she's just like, you know, nobody ever wants to eat or drink anything fishy again because it ends up being out and they all have to like rush out of the restaurant. It is like a weird commentary on like what is trendy and how people follow that. And it's just like insaneness. But we learn that the quagmires are in the elevator. And the elevator is just this long, dark tunnel shaft. There's no elevator in it at the bottom or the quagmires would be squashed. And I guess they would have their fortune, but it would be a really nasty mess and very hard to rent out that place, I'm assuming. I often get scared of elevators because I think about this book. I'm going to be honest. This book has changed the way that I look at elevators. At the restaurant, before they end up like leaving because it's lame, they beg a lot to sing for Secretary's Day and he does this like keep chasing your schemes number, which is really great. This season is definitely better. They like worked out the kinks of the first one. First seasons are always hard. You're like getting to know your crew. You're building a whole new concept. You don't really know what the audience is because you can't really get their feedback until you've already made certain episodes. And in like a show like this, you've got to keep up the theme. So it totally makes sense. The joy that Neil Patrick Harris has when he sings is so, it's just so pure. I want to bottle it up and give it to myself. Like I just, I want to sell it because I think it's just so great. So Jerome is sleeping off all the fish and the long waiting at a restaurant. Waiting in a restaurant can knock you out like nothing else, honestly. And speaking of waiting, the Baudelaire's agree that like, if we wait till we're ready, we'll wait for the rest of our lives. And that's honestly only true. Sometimes I think 
Having some preparation always can make you have better decisions, but they basically make a hot air balloon because these children are just literal geniuses and they find the quagmires and the quagmires tell them that, that Olaf's plan is to hide them into an item in the auction and sneak them out and they couldn't open the lock so they have to come back but their handkerchief that they use to make the hot air balloon is like burning and then they're gonna like drop to the ground and it would be terrible but honestly also a really cool I mean this world needs to be a theme park universe because it would just be amazing right so that dropping from the ground ride would be cool as f their makeshift thing explodes which is not ideal because how are they going to get back down? But they survived to the top, thankfully. And they're going to go try to talk to Jerome about what is happening because it's the one they trust. And Esme catches them and she's like, oh, you should be asleep. She's like, I have no idea what time it is, but you should probably be asleep. And they're like, uh, you know, they don't know if they could trust her. But she's like, you know, tell me I'm important. I'm an insanely powerful woman. You know, I work too much to spend so much on earrings. And it's so hard because it's like, Esme is clearly shallow. I have obviously foresight that the Baudelaire's don't have. And also like, I know that actress's career and I know the types of characters she plays is. So she asks them all for parsley water after they tell her what happened. And then she pushes them in an elevator. And it scares me. It scares me every time. It is so messed up and it is so shocking thankfully they landed in the net and they are like we're gonna smuggle you out of town and you're never gonna be okay again and then it is revealed that her former acting coach is Olaf and they met while riding horses and their mom Beatrice stole from Esme I also love this because Olaf swears off of romance in the the mill one but then is literally right back on it after a school break he's like I'm ready to love again you know they do dancing instead of sex because this is a kid's show i honestly think that's like a great thing like when you want your characters to do it instead of explosive sex scenes that aren't great give an actor also a dance reel have them dance kind of nice together and we can infer the rest you don't gotta give us everything right like it's dumb everybody is poured for that we don't need that sunny is able to just like use her teeth and they like make sparks but she's able to like climb out of the elevator with her teeth pretty much like i don't know what to call them but this like little fork she stick into the snow sometimes she's literally a baby let me remind you that but she climbs up the elevator shaft and steals rope while esme and count are dancing and distracted and bribes the hook-handed man with parsley water for silence and then she jumps back down this literal baby with a black cape i mean i just can't believe she was a baby and doing all this stuff i'm so worried anyway they learn that esme is mad about a stolen sugar bowl and that's the thing that beatrice stole from her apparently and there's all of these secret tunnels under the homes, which is very interesting. And our Jack Snicket kind of explains to Olivia that, you know, what he does is dangerous. And the secret organization, you know, isn't always a safe thing, but it's a way to get the world rid of fires because VFD is a volunteer fire department, just in case you didn't know. Anyway, so here we are now at the auction. It's invite only. Poe picks him up. He tells the orphans that even though they want to spend money, he's like, well, you can't spend money on frivolous items, but then he bids high on a Google-eyed spoon, and I love it. That is honestly my favorite Mr. Poe moment. It's so good. It's so frustrating because they think they're in the VFD, which is very fancy doily box, and Sunny bids $1,000, and they think it's that because it's like, it has a bunch of holes in the box, and but it's really the red herring, which is like the whole joke and the whole fish setup thing and it's honestly like just some great pieces of writing so many good formulaic things that end up working out jerome shows up in this like cool suit pajama oh another thing i loved when sunny bids is that when she says 1000 poe is like I knew she was a receptionist, but I had no idea her salary was that high. And then anyway, Jerome busts in in a cool pajama suit and then reveals that it's Count Olaf. And they're like, don't blame the foreigners. And they try to make this an immigrant issue, which is isn't that the way sometimes, right? So much to say on that. But basically, to help people get to not be illegal immigrants. But Esme basically reveals that she's leaving Jerome for the genius, wonderful acting coach. And this was all for revenge and that Olaf is a boyfriend and Olaf escapes for the sixth time and then the hall that was in is out so they're all leaving and the Baudelaire's are just devastated because they lost their friends once again Count Olaf is still out they're in danger nowhere is safe so they end up going to a VFD town which like honors all these birds it's very weird Sunny also in the car is never in a car seat 
and they never address that and it's super unsafe for a baby to not be in a car seat. But basically, Poe feels good about this town because it's gonna be hundreds of people caring for them. He doesn't even remember Count Olaf's name and calls him Count Omar, who is following them in a getaway car. The taxi is obeying the speed limit law, but Count Olaf is not because luckily for the orphans and sort of unluckily, Jack Snicket is coming with the librarian as well to that town to help induct the Baudelaire's and the Quagmires and rescue them and help them get into the society. And Jack Snicket is just like shocked because Count Olaf left hand turns without signaling and it's just villainary knows no bound. Anyway, the Baudelaire's meet this council of elders. Olaf goes to the saloon. So does Mr. Poe and so does Jack Snicket and Olivia at one point. The saloon used to be a firehouse, but now it's shut down and they're a dry county. But Olaf keeps talking about sarsaparilla because why not? You know what I mean? Sarsaparilla is so fun to say. Such a great one. Olaf does this orange bearded bullet hat thing only temporarily. Then he becomes this like jazz character and it's very interesting. Their whole orphan program thing is that it takes a village, which I think is a very interesting quote because I always have this like amendment to this quote. They're like, it takes a village to raise a child, which I think is very true. And I also will say, which is very apical in this one, is that it takes a village to abuse a child as well. Also, the way that Poe drinks a sarsaparilla is so weird. But basically, this town is going to communal raise children. Also, Olaf's beard has straps. It's so funny. Dust in the bar makes Poe really mucousy, and he's gotta go. And they've added more air holes for the quagmires, if you were worried, but they're hoarse from screaming. And Count Olaf is like, okay, we'll just blend in with these respectful people. And they have like literally the loudest costumes ever. The council of elders in this communal raising of the town that they're doing, which they call It Takes a Village. They have like these crow hats that are pretty cool, but they have all of these random rules, which is, I feel like his joke at California sometimes because that's really what it feels like. But basically, no one can talk on the platform. They're basically making the children do all of their chores, hacked the system of child labor, right? Like, it's terrible. They will take questions from the town, but they don't want any trouble in the town and they don't want, and a lot of people don't want any noisy children in the home. So they just say that the orphans can live with Hector the handyman who passes out because kids love that. I think that was in the book though, that he was like really shy and like couldn't talk to the counselors. He was just like deathly afraid of public speaking. So hard because all the good guys in this universe have flaws and it's just, it's rough. So they're going to feed and clothe the children so they won't do terrible things. But then unfortunately, the chief of police is Esme with red boots and four names, literally four names, just went out. And she is going to offer this town protection and, and style. And she can talk on the platform whenever she wants because she's chief of police and she's got this kind of Spanish accent going on. I don't know what the ethnicity of the actress is, but they don't, we don't comment on it. Obviously these people are evil anyway and so they can do racist caricatures because it's technically in character whether you like it or not it is like if what they are is evil that is saying that that stereotype is evil it's an interesting concept right it's just an interesting concept anyway they say that rule breakers will be punished because they really like the rules in this town and the troop just kind of builds up that they really like the chief of police. What are abusers if they're not backed by the people, right? That's where you give the power. That's why it's so important to stop supporting an abuser because the more support they have, the more dangerous they are with the power and it just sucks. But yeah, so evil is defended. These poor, poor Baudelaire's. I feel so bad. I just feel so bad. They've literally, now they've infiltrated the police force, which is how it goes in real life. And it's just, it's heartbreaking and it's sad and it's just Hard to watch these children grow up and realize the atrocities of the world and it also be their personal nightmares. Cataloff just comes in and scats for a while, but Jack comes in and he's like, I want a tall glass of justice and a garnish of ending wicked schemes. And Cataloff is like, you know what? You're never going to take me alive. And then they make fun of Lemony who writes poetry and cries all the time. I am Lemony. This village is called the Village of Foul Devotees. So VFD. I don't know if I love Hector's acting, but he is kind of what I pictured Hector being like. I either pictured him like this or as like kind of a kindly old man. The crows flying around in this town is also really cool. Hector pretty much is like, okay, so you're going to have to keep a lot of secrets because he's been inventing and he's not really supposed to, but he's working on this big self-sustaining mobile home flying house. And it's just hard because it's like, it's banned. Like no citizen can invent. It's 
what a terrible town to live in, right? Like, it's just awful. And that's why I think Hector is so nervous is because he is breaking the rules and it's like a lot of pressure for him to lie. And he's always a good person, so he doesn't want to lie. And he's like, all of this fainting is really hard in his lower back. But he says that the mobile home can live a hundred years up in the air. So then, luckily, Olaf is locked in the cell for eight minutes. Jack makes the tea too bitter because there's no sugar with the sugar bowl. It's also just a nice touch. And he is asking Olaf where the quagmires are. But unfortunately, the chief of police is Esme. And I don't think Jack had accounted for that. Then the Baudelaire's find these like little pieces of paper where it says, don't scream when we take you, the world is quiet here, which is like a VFD chant thing. And the Quagmires are sending these little poet clues. And part of me is like, bruh, why did they just write the place in the poem? Like, why did they say we're in the fountain? You know, like, why did they have to keep it so vague? Like, I understand you need a story, but this is really frustrating. I didn't like this one because I was just frustrated with bureaucracy. So they decide, the Baudelaire's, that they will search for the quagmires while they clean. Then they get good news that Count Olaf is captured. But unfortunately, they just made Jack Snicket look like him. And Poe is allowed to speak on the platform because he's a visiting banker and he confirms that that is Count Olaf because of the left ankle tattoo which is so racy we're showing off our ankles in this family show but anyway they decide that Count Olaf will be burned at the stake and people go crazy for that they love it which is so messed up another thing I don't know if I mentioned the first one but the tattoo like while it is of an eye it is also of the letters VFD it's pretty cool part of me has thought about getting that but I don't know that I love the series that much anyway it sucks because there's an innocent man that's going to be buried alive he's in this jail cell and they literally have a noose in the jail cell it's so dark for children like oh my gosh i guess like basically like if you want to kill yourself instead of making us do it like what the heck it's so bad but they try to convince count Olaf to be good but it goes nowhere the goal librarian is also behind bars anyway and her and jack snicket are in love and she ends up getting out and is going to rescue jack but he says that she's too important and so she gives her the location of the sugar bowl and tells her to go to Madame Lulu and he says you know we promise to take care and rescue of each other and we'll see each other again it's not over and he kisses her and he gives her the spyglass and it's sad because I know what happens to him but we'll get to there. Conaluf is like come quietly and he's like I prefer to be loud it's just really funny and Jack apologizes. He's like, I know what happened at the opera, which we don't learn about until next season. But basically, he throws the book and knocks out Jack. Books are literally dangerous, is Catalog's point, which in used in that context, yes. And I think in some instances, they are dangerous in terms of like wanting to keep somebody in a, you know, ignorant state, an easy controlled state. Books don't do that. So basically they're like, hey, sorry, we can't murder Count Olaf because he's already been murdered by a crowbar, which is super sad. And these people love the bad news. And there's so many dead people in the series at this point. It's really sad. And I still can't believe that they want everybody to be burned at the stake because that is so scary and gonna be disgusting. You're gonna smell the flesh. It's just like, it's not practical. But Count Olaf the detective is like, hey, you know what? It's not cool to disagree that because he's trying to get the orphans burned at the stake. I also love that Esme's character, who is this like chief of police, her name doesn't even match the one that she said yesterday. And she says that, yes, it is Jack Snicket, but his nickname was Count Olaf, like, and tries to basically just erase Count Olaf's identity. And there's only one key to the jail cell. They're trying to say that the Baudelaire's murdered Count Olaf, which is why Count Olaf is like, it's not cool to disagree. So the orphans basically have to take this murder responsibility of a murder they didn't commit. The person who's trying to murder them and has been messing up their life is murdering, uh, you know, their one chance of rescue. Because they're like, oh, there's only one key to the jail cell, which the chief of police have. And like, but the town doesn't makes it like this mystery and is like, oh, it is the Baudelaire's who did it, not thinking that it would be, you know, the chief of police who actually has the key who did it. Ugh, it's just so hard. These adults are so stupid and gullible in this. And it's like, welcome to the world, right? But there's so much more smart people in the world than dumb people in the world, regardless of what the series would have you believe. Or maybe I'm just naive and an optimist like Phil. And the orphans try to say like, no, 
we didn't kill Count Olaf. That wasn't Count Olaf. That was Jack Snicket. And the real Count Olaf is this groovy man of the law. But Count Olaf pretending to be this jazz detective is like, oh, I wouldn't harm anything. He's like, the orphans are murderers. And he does a literal whole spoken word poem about it. Oh, I don't love it, but I get it. Anyway, so the background music to the spoken word does not really match. It doesn't really work, but they all snap. And that's pretty cool. And he tries to say that the bite marks are Sunny Baudelaire's, that she is a murderer in the in an adorable dress. She's like so cute. I can't believe they would say that this little baby is a murderer. And then the town, of course, wants to kill the baby with the ugly teeth. She's like a zombie, so she bit it. And they're like, no, we couldn't have done that because we were Hector's. And Hector, of course, faints, so there's no alibi now. And Count Olaf's jazz detective is like, you guys aren't an innocent cat. You're the bad guys. This whole town has adopted murderers. And then the town wants to burn them for resisting arrest. And Esme's like, okay, we can do this the quiet way or get very noisy. And the children are now in a jail cell, which thankfully has a really weak wall. They can build a mechanical device. But the orphans are just like blaming themselves, thinking like, was there anything that they could have done to not get Jack Snicket murdered? Is it their fault? And now it's like their fault that they murdered Count Olaf, even though they didn't really murder Count Olaf. He's still alive. This plot's complicated, okay? But, and I don't even know how he would get his fortune if they become murderers. I guess it would just go back to the village if they got the Baudelaire's fortune. I don't know what Count Olaf is planning. I don't get it. But the Poe's wife is doing an interview about the murders and is like, and didn't realize that Poe was here because they're like, oh, we could have carpooled, which I love that they are weirdly like, don't talk about, like they seem like such a family that has it together in the previous scenes that we've seen about it. But there's like this weird thing where they also have their own separate lives. It's very interesting. But Mrs. Poe's wife writes for this paper, which is just as like ill reporting as the Daily Prophet sometimes. And she's like, she confirms that like, that is the poster of Count Olaf. So like, that is Jack Snicket is Count Olaf. But she's doing an interview because this is the story of the century. And Count Olaf then kind of hints that he's like, oh, you know, I might let one of you orphans escape so that I can have your fortune, which still doesn't make sense. I feel like that's never going to work on a bank because they're going to be like, they died and they're already going to have done something else with the money. So I don't really know what Count Olaf's plan is at all. Like, it just seems dumb. But at this point, I think he's just living to torture, you know? There's like this really funny moment where he can't fit the meal of the orphans into the jail cell so he just throws the bread on the floor and it's just really funny they're in the cell with the noose these children and a baby it's just really sad they think still that count Olaf is gonna just fail like always hector stops by and of course it's klaus's birthday in a literal jail cell he's 14 which is violet's about to be 15 so none of them can drive either they have like literally no control over their lives. The bread that was given them to is super hard. And so they're trying to decode the poem and they break through the wall and they call the orphans annoying, but they're like, oh, we're just celebrating Klaus's birthday. We made this swing with a noose. Yeah, man, teen years are tough. The town is building literally a funeral pyre. And then they realize that the quagmires are in the fountain. And Cuddleuff is like not really worried about it. He doesn't really want to overplan since everything's going to plan. He like already feels like he's got these fortunes in the bag. And Esme is just freaking out because she wants the sugar bowl location because she says that it's the most important part of the tea set. Although to me, I definitely think that's the teapot, but agree to disagree. Hector is saying goodbye because he's about to just like float on out of here because this town is crazy, clearly. But they realize that his home balloon is big enough to store children so they can put the quagmires on it as well as them and they can all escape happily, right? So they open the beak of the bird statue in town and they rescue the quagmires and are like loading them up into Hector's mobile home and the town still wants the orphans to burn and so they're calling for the police and the of course Olaf and his team panic because they're like oh the police but then they're like oh wait that's us we're the police <laughs> abusive people man and then the town is pissed because the Baudelaire and quagmires are escaping and they're like um this town has rules against escaping so they have this like angry mob that forms 
with pitchforks. It's so messed up. And they're trying to burn all of the orphans, even the quagmires now. It's literally insane. It's the mob from Beauty and the Beast at like maximum level 100. And they try to talk to them and they're like, you were a good town once. You helped people. You put out fires. But they're like, nope, they want to burn the children. People really be like this and it is disgusting. And they're like, you need to do your own chores. I, you know, it, it takes a village, not three children to do chores. And the townspeople like kind of start to listen and calm down. The quagmires climb up the mobile home first so they're fine but then Esme is has a harpoon gun and is just shooting balloons and the bullers then have to just like let the quagmires go for safety and they're like we're just doing what friends are for and it is just like so sad because it's such a moment of they were so close but they decided to just not risk it with the trauma. And the town is like yelling at Esme that she cannot shoot with a mechanical device. And then the quagmires try to give the VFD bug so that the Baudelaire's can learn all the secrets of the organization. But Esme shoots it and then it just like all of the pages splatter all over and it just sucks so hard. And then they are just like grabbing as many papers as they can because it's like a panic at this point. And Esme accidentally shoots this crow and she says that it's like just a stupid bird, but the town is like really passionate about their fowls because it's the foul devotees, right? This is like the bird is their like Jesus, you know? Count Olaf is pissed because he's now lost two sets of fortunes and they drive off in the fire truck and all the villagers are like, oh, should we still burn them? And it's it's like, nah, it seems unwise to burn without a fire truck. So they just like give up, which is just, oh, so frustrating. This literally reminds me of Amarillo, this town. I swear to God. But anyway, they run and get the crow to the vet. The orphans run. They steal basically a fire truck vehicle to get out. And the truck then runs out of gas, of course, because this is how it is. And their gas station is out of gas and out of order and out of luck is what the Baudelaire's are. And so they try to telegraph in the gas station because there's a telegraph machine in the gas station, as there are, you know, and there's a guy stacking day-old pastries. And he is like, hey, I recognize you guys. Aren't you guys child actors? Which is really funny because it kind of breaks the fourth while. But I also kind of liked that because it's like, oh, like he did recognize them from the paper saying that they were murderers. But they use the telegram. But then, of course, Kaunalaf is there with a kitten statue and alerts the gas station owner that they are murderers. And he's like, what? They look like innocent children. It's so hokey the way people play it, but it weirdly sort of works for this. And then they manage to escape. The Baudelaire's manage to escape Count Olaf because they get into a van that asks for volunteers. Olaf, defeated, steals snacks and a visor. And they go to the Heimlich Hospital, which is not where the Sugar Bell is. It was with Madame Lulu at the circus. So we're a bit of a detour from that. So pause on that. And Olaf is like, you know what? Whatever. I'm a free man. And Esme's like, um, I thought we were dating. Literally abusers, though. They hate labels. They just want to do whatever they want. The van people that take them in are not the volunteers that they thought they would be. They're just like kind of creepy, very 60s, 70s. And they're just all singing they're volunteers fighting diseases. So technically they are VFD and their job is just to be cheerful all day long. And it seems like this would not help sick people, but maybe it does. I feel like being entertained privately would always put a smile on your face and that would bring happiness and, and allow you to heal better. But they agree. They think that no news is good news, which I don't think is always true. And they also think that the news is too depressing. So they go to Heimlich Hospital, which is only right now half a hospital. And Klaus is very confused. Honestly, all the Baudelaire's are very confused how singing songs fight diseases, but they're like, I don't know, laughing, oxygen, something like that. That'll work. Literally us diagnosing ourselves or trying to figure out COVID, though. Honestly, very relatable. So anyway, the volunteers believe that a cheerful attitude is very effective against sickness. And well, there's like, well, what about antibodies? But whatever. There's like no patient confidentiality if they like know where the patients are to sing with them, which I think is interesting. I always love when they break HIPCA in the things because I've seen so many real life doctors break it and not in trouble for it. And it's insane because that's actually a very protected law. They see that there is a library of records in this hospital, which makes the children feel safe because it's been ages since they've had a library. Because libraries, I think, were banned in the village of all devotees 
too. There was so much stuff that was banned. Literally, biting things was reading to an extent. I don't understand what those people did all day. Uh, certainly not the chores. But this hospital looks like a Silent Hill hospital. It is so creepy. And then they meet Hal, whose eyesight is not what it's used to be. He's pretty much blind. And they pretend to be working for Hal, like that, so they don't get kicked out of the library. Olaf similarity because now we're getting to this mixed things of like where the children are doing bad things kind of similar to their abuser but Olaf pretends to be a doctor and his whole crew is nurses and Babs the nurse who is very weird has a tendency to hyperventilate if she gets too overwhelmed because she's supposed to keep out intruders she's also the head of the party community so you know she's just overwhelmed she's got a lot to do parties are not easy to plan so she wants to make them fill out forms oh count off these paperwork makes the world go round hal has these special keys that open up the file and then these episodes they just kind of repeat a bunch of information over and over and it's like really dull and confusing maybe a note that they got from the other one is that it it was hard to follow because there is a lot in these books but i don't know i I don't think they needed this one, but I get that it's a kid's show and sometimes that's helpful. Especially if you speak a different language, I understand that sometimes if a script is bad, it's usually because it's like pretty good in translation. So the Bully Layers are trying to look for a file for the Sugar Bowl. They don't know if it's in D, W, or I. I can't remember why those things were significant, but basically they're looking for that. But in order to even get a file, you have to file an application and wait seven to ten days for approval, which is big yikes. Olaf, meanwhile, is just knocking light bulbs out in all of the hospital, which is very, very scary. And he's basically going to have to give up in theater as he's dead now. And he made Babs retire early. And he hacks over the speaker system and says that just so everyone knows that there are murderers in the hospital. And they're not going to stop looking for them until they're caught, you know, because no one wants to be murdered when they sleep, which is great for the Vogelers. Now they're just as tired because they've already been sleep deprived forever. I also love that Olaf can't even really figure out the intercom system. Abusers always are like weirdly incapable of certain things. And Esme and Olaf start fighting now. They're having a schism of their own. And cause she's pissed because he's just treating her like one of his lackeys. And she's like, you don't pay me. You can't yell at me. And Olaf's like, I don't pay my troop either, which is very, very interesting because this means that this troop follows them out of their own will. But they all are kind of like weird people. And Olaf maybe made them feel like less of freaks, like in a weird way as this weird like P.T. Barnum character. Very, very interesting. So then these children narrowly go to this unfinished part and it's very freaky. They don't even know if sleeping at this unfinished part of the hospital is the worst place they've ever slept because at this point it's so hard to say which is so sad for them they keep cutting to these kind of funny arguments between esme and olaf and i guess they're trying to kind of establish they're not loved because things are about to get like a little bit crazy soon and it kind of takes from like the overall miserably that the baudelaire's have because it's like hard because now there's like so many people have died they were so close to their friends and i think it's just the trauma starting to get to them you know so they have this moral dilemma that their parents would be disappointed and become criminal if they steal Hal's keys but they need it but they're still like racked with guilt because Hal comes over too and is like made this this chicken soup for them and is like all happy about them sleeping under the stars and he's like you'll have to learn how to shine light and be shined on and it's just like it makes everything so much harder to steal because this is like a genuinely very nice person and one of the nicest people they've met in a while but it's basically necessary for them to figure out the sugar bowl so that the evil counterparts don't get it so it's really just a hard decision but they they decide to steal it because they feel like they got to and Esme is trying to pick the lock to the library and they're meanwhile watching Jack Snicket's debriefing of VAD and they also realize in there that Olaf was also an orphan who was a survivor of the fire. I think in the book that's usually how they recruited is that they would burn people down and then take whatever the orphans were. In this Netflix series, it's a little different because it was like Ishmael picked them from Prickford School Academy that they were in. And then that's kind of how he picked people with a twinkle in their eye, whatever. But we'll get to that in the next episode. So Esme unfortunately gets in and she like tries to kill the orphans with her stilettos, which is like badass, but also terrifying and sad. And she pushes all of these files down, which sucks for poor Hal. This is a terrible mess to clean up. The Baudelaire's 
come fire back at her and say that she's like a terrible actor which is insane they're just starting to get mad but i understand this person has literally caused them so much pain but olaf and esme end up getting violet and then they're like nervous because they can't decide and i think this is like a bigger theme in the book and it kind of gets buried in the netflix show of their parents also starting fires and them being so confused as to where really their parents allegiance lies in the vfd it doesn't get super explained here and i don't really even remember it in the book because it's kind of left vague because they don't really ever figure out all the answers until they go to the island so klaus and sunny are in a vent in the hospital and they've escaped and violet is like you're not real doctors you're never going to get away with this and they go you're right about one of those things which is really funny to me and this was a very funny one i like this episode i don't love this book i would say that i like the heimlich hospital one more than the the school one mostly because i hate jim even though i love the quagmires but i liked the hospital one because of the moral dilemma that they had also with my uncle being a doctor there's like so many jokes here that really like remind me of him but basically they hid violet under a fake name so her siblings can't find her meanwhile the volunteers are still singing and the patient seems so sad while being sang too. And basically they're planning to kill Violet with all of these scary tools. And it doesn't even matter if Violet screams because screams in a hospital are normal. So Klaus and Sunny do the kid in the trench coat thing, which is really, really hilarious. And they basically now, this is the first time they're using a disguise. And so they find Babs who laughs when she's frightened. And she also hates hospitals and they're like, why do you work here? And she's like, I wanted to work for the post office, but that was an unrealistic pipe dream, which I feel so bad for her. Also getting the post office is weirdly hard, I guess. You gotta like pass a test and my mom's abuser and my abuser, who was my like ex-stepdad, ended up getting a higher score in the post office test than she did. And it sucked because she was like honest when answering the questions, I guess. And he like made fun of her for that. But it's just like, it's very interesting because now they're starting to mirror the things that they've seen work for their abuser, which is, I think, something that a trauma person always goes through. So Violet is going to get anesthesia and kind of gassed out so that she, like, passes out and isn't a problem anymore. And it's just, like, Klaus is freaking out because they have to get, like, release papers and this paperwork and find the patient list. So, and then he has to ask Count Olaf as a doctor. He pretends to be a Dr. Faustus and says that he misplaced his patient list, which makes Sonny be able to swipe his because Count Olaf just quickly flashes it. Count Olaf knows something up. Kalos obviously knows that's Count Olaf, but so far to them, they're both legit because medical coats. So they have to like crack the anagram to see where Violet's name is. Mr. Poe comes here to see this operating room, which is, they're doing like, a brain operation thing, craniotomy, I don't even know. Uh, remember the game Cranium? Super cool. For whatever reason, the scene reminded me of Cranium's big brain game and how that was like a really fun, weird game. But basically, Esme forces Klaus at the end of the knife and Sunny by association. But they basically treat this operation like it's a show and they sold all of these tickets. I'm also very confused about Mr. Poe's cough. Like he's at a hospital. Why does it happen? I feel like, I don't know if the book's ever even saying anything, but I want to know more. I also don't know, is Mr. Poe part of the organization? I don't think so. I didn't see his name when I was like looking at it recently, but... Yeah. And then Olaf kind of has this genius thing of like, oh, why kill the Olaires when he can get other people to kill them, i.e. Klaus killing his own sister, Violet, disguised as Dr. Fauci, who went to Oxford, even though he is incredibly young. We also haven't seen Hook Guy in a while. I wonder what he's up to. But it's, yeah, it's so messed up that he has to operate on his sister. It's just so messed up. So Klaus tries to filibuster and talk about the equipment and people are mad because they want to see someone's head get cut off which is insane and Klaus is like ah we gotta do paperwork Esme says there will be blood give me the sugar bowl give me the stuff or else and then Count Olaf calls out that, that this doctor is an imposter it's two children and they're like oh everybody freaks out because of course you know the Baudelaire's are murderers right now because of that article 
in the paper and they're like you're not doctors you're murderers which is hilarious because there actually is a doctor who or fake person pretending to be a doctor who is a murderer but they ignore that and Hal comes in and is like you destroyed my files I thought we were friends and they're like we didn't mean to destroy them we're really not criminals but it's just like too late for everything everything is just topsy-turvy and no one is listening and it's just chaos so Olaf watches the Jack Snicket thing gets mad and destroys it and sets it on fire Klaus bust Violet out by the gurney. Then they start a fire in the hospital, which is so bad. They're 30 to 40 feet up above and Violet can't think she doesn't have her hair tie. And they're like, if it's 40 feet, we won't make it. If it's 30, we might if we jump, which is so sad that they're children and they have to consider us and there's literally a baby with them. Then Lurs Nukafunt, the man who is neither or a woman or a man, the person of unidentified gender, the one who Klaus says is scared the most by, which I feel like is kind of mean to trans people. And I kind of wish it was actually played by a they them person because I want more non-binary representation, but whatever. Anyway, Nurse Lucafont is back and Sunny bites the rope to make at least 20 feet and hits the neither a man or a woman in the face and now everyone is going to think that the Bolaire children are not only murderers but arsonists and they've escaped and in the books this is where the woman who is neither a man or a woman the person who is neither a man or a woman ends up dying but because the Netflix show loved Maddie so much this character they kept him because it's yeah it's amazing. He does such a good job and makes it really fun. So then they realize that they have a choice. They have a very difficult choice. They're like, we either get into the trunk of Olaf's car or we get captured by the police and go to juvie. And they're like, what choice do we have? So they go in the trunk and it really messes me up. And then we get this like flashback of before the Baudelaire children were born and it's Larry serving a deviled egg with a note. The ophthalmologist is hypnotizing Gustav. You see Aunt Josephine Ike dancing. Jack and Lemony are talking. Larry insists on finishing this root beer float, which root beer floats is so good. I mean, I'm more of like a Coke float, but whatever. So then Beatrice is pushed by Count Loaf, but she was dressed as a dragonfly and it actually works. Thankfully, at least Olaf doesn't drink and drive. At his obituary, there was surprisingly low turnout to Count Olaf's funeral, they say, which is kind of mean, although it was obviously Jack's funeral and nobody really knew that Jack was dying. They're heading onto the Moat Mitchery Mountains where the Baudelaire's parents promised to take them. Uh, and unfortunately, they were brought here by a series of unfortunate events. Uh-huh, they said the title of the thingy. And their hospital visit didn't make them feel better and it's just fire after fire and nothing is making anything better but they go to Madame Lulu's and there's one question for the ball and Count Olaf wants to know if the Baudelaire parents survived the fire but they'll have to wait until morning then they have a moment where they freak out because Olaf goes into the trunk for wine and they have to hand it there and they're there and they don't even see it so they decide to disguise themselves again and Violet and Klaus do freaks dressed as like kind of a conjoined twin you know, I don't really want to call them freaks, but that's like kind of what they go for here to be like circus freaks. You know, they're really just like performers, but whatever. So they do like these conjoined twins of makeup and wigs. It's honestly a pretty good disguise. And they're basically freaks that care about fashion, I guess, because they have a, a pinstriped kind of outfit. And they're like, oh, how would you eat an ear of corn? It must be challenging between both of them. And they like make them do it. And it's terrible and exploitive um but you know you gotta have a commentary on that because we've been commentarying on like literally everything else the freaks will talk about how they wanted to get health insurance but then the nearby hospital burned down which makes them all feel worse the ambidextrous freak is so depressed even though he's like not a really real freak but it is very funny that that is like considered that way there's a hunchback a contortionist madame lulu offered to pay for community college but they didn't take it madame lulu is like no one deserves to be ridiculed uh and she seems very familiar and even on my guess I kind of thought that she was the librarian somehow I just like saw it also her accent sounded hella fake almost like Kendra the vampire slayer but worse um than even my impression because my impression was probably very bad anyway so Esme is kind of like skeptical of Madame Lulu because she's like attractive and Olaf seems to like kind of flirt with her and she's like well if you're so good at fortunes how come you don't have a television show which she's got a point
point there, right? Me at every psychic that tries to charge $900. So the poor hunchback struggles to get dressed. Ugh, that kills me. And the hook man is asked to join because he's technically a freak too. Most of Olaf's troop is for freaks. This is kind of when I noticed it. it took me this long to notice it. So non-judgmental. Huh? I need a star or a cookie. But anyway, the hook man is like, what? Like gets all offended by that. And the ambidextrous freak is just, it's so funny. If you don't know what ambidextrous means, it means you can write with both your right hand and your left hand. It's where I first learned it from is these books. Olaf decides to kind of be like the ring circus leader because he loves to perform and it's been a minute since the salmon number. Yeah, the sets and the costume and makeup of this are amazing. Esme's cone bra though. It's hot fire. Sunny is also dressed as a wolf baby. Sorry, I didn't mention that earlier. Uh, so she just growls and bites. Um, it's kind of messed up that they are faking being disabled. It's really messed up. Then there's Lemony as a sad clown and this is literally what I pictured Lemony as and what I wanted through the whole detail of these events. I just wanted him to be in sad clown makeup telling the story and no explanation because I don't need it. That's just what I wanted. House of Freaks is a really good song. They make this thing that one of the freaks they're going to push into a pack of starving lions they have. Why isn't anybody feeding these lions? I feel like this is not a good volunteer organization if you can't make these lions well fed. Basically, business has been bad because there's no more roller coaster and Olaf is like mad because he can't even get the orphans and they're not technically orphans if there's one parent alive because there was a rumor that somebody survived the fire. I love the woman di body diversity in this. It's very nice. And then we learn that the secret that Madame Lulu is faking it. She's the librarian. Various fakery disguises is the VFD disguise kit. Because of course it's going to be a VFD. That's what the zombie movies code was that there was a survivor of the fire. And Madame Lulu finally explains to the children what the volunteer fire department is. That they put out fires. And Esme is like very, very nervous because she thinks that Madame Lulu is trying to steal her boyfriend. Esme like will cut out her tent and like makes all of these like costumes for herself out of her tent. Because she's like not going to be thrown over by a carny. Ugh, Esme. It's the worst. And Madame Lulu, the librarian Olivia, is like... You know, it's kind of impossible to know the future. But the Volilaires broke the crystal bar, which is so bad because it's like leaves evidence. But luckily the librarian reveals himself and then she explains that there is no real Madame Lulu. It's just an alias and it's basically a volunteer uh, rotating position. But the previous volunteer got the sugar bowl and is not coming back. And the Volilaires have to break the news that Jack's not coming back. But luckily they rescued the Quagmires. And the librarian is so good. I really like her acting in this. It just really fits and it's really genuine and beautiful. Violet offers to fix the radiator and the roller coasters and the librarian continues to explain that there was a schism and one side decided that it was better to start fires than put it out and Violet has dropped her hospital tag that she had which is bad because that leads to a clue. Again more Neil Patrick Harrison magic not just in his performances like actual magic that he knows how to do which is insane but super cool. This is when we start realizing that Sunny too is like an excellent chef that's like really her skill. It's more adapt than just biting things. It's like tasting, which makes sense because it goes into both. This is when Count Olaf is like, okay, we'll just feed the freaks to the lions. Die to entertain, essentially. I laugh really hard at Kalos's struggling Southern accent, which I can't tell if is an actor thing or was an on-purpose choice for Klaus, like he didn't know how to do a Southern accent. Really funny either way. And Count Olaf wants all of the other circus freaks to join him. He like literally doesn't care what they do. They just have to obey his every whim which is scary it's like kind of nazi-y hitler-esque it's rough and it's like you have to be okay with committing a murder and then it's the big reveal is you think it's going to be the Baudelaire's that get thrown to the lions but really they've chosen to throw madame lulu it is just vicious and cruel what they give to what these people want because a bunch of people show up to see somebody get thrown to the lions like which is insane like i am scared to see that people would show up for violent acts like this and madame lulu the librarian says you know you don't always get what you deserve in this world but she's going to be reunited with jock so i guess she doesn't really care and even when she says that she's like who knows that that better than you two. And Olaf had like noticed the visitor bracelet and and he's still suspicious because the spirits haven't come in and said like if there's another survivor of the fire. Violet fixes the duck ride because this is kind of before Madame Lulu gets pushed in to the lions because they're still nervous that like one of the freaks will be eaten. And it's crazy because they like this is like one of the first normal activities that children do that they get to do of like riding this duck roller coaster one. And I 
think the like girl actress says this was the most fun that she's had in a while. So it's just like crazy because it's like this normal children do this activity and they're finally getting to experience something normal, but about to be very terrible. So anyway, this one woman robbed a bank and then went to see a show and is like literally there with Mr. Poe. It's insane. And then there's like a guy in the audience with something on his face and people think that he's a freak and it's just awful. And Somebody asks, is like, is this legal? And Olaf is like, don't spoil the fun. Huh, this world, this world of frustrating, frustrating, really messed up adults. And the lions are just so skinny and starving. And you, we don't even hardly see them. We just hear them because they're obviously all animated. And the freaks are like begging to be pushed, which is so sad. And then Olaf says it's for the star of the show. And then at first I thought that they were like, oh my, like, oh my gosh, are they going to toss Olaf? Is it finally going to be over? I remember thinking this in the book, but he's scared of lions. He's like allergic to cats I guess and Madame Lulu is like crying because this is just like just cruel human thing like people don't care like they just think it's like all for show for this death it's such a weird world that they live in that these adults are just unaffected which is true because like thousands of people die and we go around like even now it's like making a podcast instead of like putting my effort into helping people because I all of because the middle thought that I don't think that I would be good at it or I think like if I do this thing it would lead me money to help people like it's just you know we're like selfish creatures and it's commentary on it and it's really messed up because all of these freaks are fighting to like to push in and it's going to be Violet and Klaus, of course, because I think Olaf has a hunch of who they are. But Madame Lulu volunteers because she says, I'm right behind you. And she's more than a librarian. She's a volunteer. And it's such a powerful thing. And she goes in the pit and she can finally be in Jack. And it's, I'm assuming it was terrifyingly messy. I don't understand why anybody would want to watch someone be eaten by lions. I would throw up. But anyway, then Count Olaf is like, all right, time to burn down the carnival because there's no point of keeping it now that we've done hideous murder acts. And so he gets the orphans to light the tent on fire. And this is when I started to feel that Neil Patrick Harris finally nailed Count Olaf as a character. They finally got it good. And he has this almost sincere moment with them where he's like, oh yeah, my first time starting a fire was hard too. And he like helps the Baudelaire's start a fire, which makes them feel sick because that's literally the thing that killed their parents. And has put them in this terrible situation. Then Mr. Poe is like giving the bank robber a ride, which is crazy. And then it is revealed that Count Olaf knew that they were the Baudelaire's because they're riding back in a caravan and everybody else is in like the cars with them. They're cutting the ties with failures is what Count Olaf says. And he lets them go and it goes backwards. And Sunny is all in the car by herself. And that is how the second season ends. And it's just... Oof, you know, a big old oof of oofum. Ugh, heart-wrenching and so hard. I felt so sad when Madame Lulu had to die to the lions. That book was one of my favorites, too. Honestly, it's probably the mushroom book, probably say the carnival one, then the apartment one, then reptile house, then wide window is my top list so far. I hope you guys are enjoying it. We're gonna wrap up the Netflix version of this next week. So thank you so much for listening. Obviously right now my podcast doesn't make any money. If you're a brand that wants to work with me, you can reach out below on any of my links. Thank you so much for listening and always let me know, you know, what else you want to do or what you think. Don't be afraid to talk and share and express your opinions. I'd love to get to know my audience and make content that's more tailored for you, especially as I start the next season. This is my first season that I was just going all around and doing whatever and seeing what happens. So thanks so much for supporting it. We're down to our final episodes. It's been a blast. I've had so much fun having guests on these people and having so much fun just analyzing these movies. And that's what's really important to me. So thanks so much and have a good one and catch you next week.